We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Today, let's open up to 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is an epic chapter. And so I'm already going to just let you know ahead of time that I, I can't do it justice. It's an amazing chapter that has so much in here, but we'll try to work our way through it and, uh, and hopefully uh, grow in the process. Because look what it says here in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 15. It says, And Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you, king over his people over Israel now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord thus says the Lord of hosts I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now here we read the mission that God gave to Saul. The simple fact that God spoke to Saul is pretty interesting. It's an act of grace because if you remember up to this point, God wasn't speaking to Saul. He wouldn't speak to him through prayer or through priest, but now he does speak to him through this great prophet Samuel. Most teachers in reading this right here, they will tell you this, that what God is doing now is he's giving him like another chance. He's giving him, you know, a second chance, third chance, whatever you might call it. And, um, you know, it's an opportunity for him to rise up and be the man. Be the leader. Be the king that God wanted him to be. You know, we read right here about the Amalekites. In Exodus chapter 17, there was the war that went on. There was a a battle that went on with the Amalekites. Uh, It took place probably 400 years prior to this that we read here today. When you read the account over in Deuteronomy 25, turn there real quick because there's a few verses that probably would be beneficial for you and I to look at. When God is speaking to Moses, and remember, these are the, the final words in Deuteronomy 25 and verse 17. The Lord says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt? How he met you on the way, and notice this has attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary and he did not fear God. You know, it wasn't like just like a regular war. I mean, these guys were like like cowards. They didn't go face to face, just go out into battle. God says when the Amalekites came out, and what you'll find in the history of the Amalekites, uh, King Agag, they wanted to destroy Israel. That was their heart, kind of like Iran today wants to destroy Israel, wipe them off the face of the map, and others, right? And so that was where, you know, the Amalekites were. We see the cowardice and that they would go in the the back. And who would be in the back? The weak 
and, and the old, old people maybe, or those who were lame. And God says, look at what they did. Remember what they did. And so it says in verse 19, Therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around you, in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance, that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, you shall not forget. And so back in First Samuel, here we are, close to 400 years later, God didn't forget. God doesn't forget. He doesn't forget these Amal- Amalekites, descendants of Esau. Remember Esau? According to Genesis chapter 36, verse 12, how they maliciously attacked the rear ranks of stragglers when they were tired and weary. And God says, now it's time for justice. You know, and... You know, we read these things and, you know, I hope you guys know that maybe, you know, we see a lot of crazy things going on today, a lot of a lot of just atrocities, a lot of things that we just know aren't right. And, you know, we we're, we're like, where's justice? You know, where's the God of justice? One day, every right will be made wrong. One day, the God of justice will settle accounts. See? And that's what's happening here with the Amalekites. Now, I know that, I don't know if you guys, you know, read this, and and I don't know how you guys feel about the command. You know, I think for us as Christians, we, you know, we might read this and, you know, take it like a little tough. You know, hey, it's hard to swallow that God would command anyone to kill women, infants, and nursing children. How could God issue a command to utterly destroy the Amalekites. And, and you know, let's be honest, that is kind of a tough one when you simply look at it from a human perspective, okay? But, man, I really hope and pray that you got, you, you, we can kind of lift up our eyes and enter into the heavenlies because the truth is this, you guys, if we were able to see just a sliver of God's holiness, of his purity, of his righteousness, then we would never ask how God could allow bad things to happen to innocent people because there are no innocent people. None. The question is, is how does God allow good things to happen to guilty people? And then we're, and we're all guilty. And so that's one thing to take into consideration. You know, we're born with original sin. Did you guys know that? That Peter, I mean, uh, uh, David in Psalm 51, he said, In sin did my mother conceive me. You know, because of the fall of Adam and our identification with him, every person has sin. And therefore, we violated God's holy standard. And so if he was simply to execute justice, the moment we were conceived, we would perish. You see, so we have to make sure that we see things according to God's standards. Another thing to take into consideration is that the Amalekites as a nation were utterly wicked. And we're going to see that even later as we go through our text. And within the pages of Scripture, here's another thing to understand, and it's good for us to know this as Bible-believing Christians, that at nations, all nations will be judged on earth. All nations. All nations will be judged on earth individuals, it's a different story. You might see that guy right there and he's rich and he has, you know, what we think is a great life and he never gets judged. But then he stands before God 
and he gets judged then. So for individuals, it's different. For nations, it's not. Nations, every nation will be judged on earth. This is the judgment of the nation of Amalek. You know, this would never have been part of God's perfect plan, but due to the fall of man, these types of things do happen. Like what Damien Kyle said, he said, God has a vantage point when it relates to his justice that you and I do not have. And so whenever you come across something that you don't understand, fall back on what you do understand. You know, something that caught my attention here in verse 3 Notice what it says in verse 3. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. It says, and do not spare them. You know, and I read that right there in reference to the Amalekites, right? Do not spare them. But it's interesting because the same, you know, phrase is used with the Israelites. God didn't spare them. In Romans chapter 11, verse 21. You see, God is a just God. God is an impartial God. Not only that, we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, that he who did not spare his own son. You see, I pray that we would see the way it works, that all tragedies are not enemies. They're mysteries to us, but not to God. And so we need to trust him. God gave Saul a mission. And so we read in verse 4 that Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And when Saul came to a city of Amalek, he lay in wait in the valley. And then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. And so the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And so Saul gathers his army to him, the Israelites, and he sends the Kenites away from him. For they were like the opposite of the Amalekites. Rather than fighting them, they showed kindness to them. You see, and it's important for us to know this, that this is the way God will deal with nations. Right? Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, if you want to turn there. Genesis is the last book in the Bible. No. No, Genesis 12, look, it says in verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, or Abraham, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you, here it is, a great nation. That's Israel, right? I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now imagine that, you know, when it's just Abraham and and Sarah, and they've got their nephew. And God says, okay, take a step of faith, man. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And then the whole world is going to know your name. You're going to be great in the whole world. And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's, you know, through him, Jesus would come, right? But he says this to them, and it's something that stands today. He says, and I will bless him who blesses you. 
And I will curse him who curses you. And you see, when you look at history, this is exactly what you find. And this is what we see even in our text today, that the Amalekites came against Israel. Therefore, God would come against the Amalekites. But the Kenites, the descendants there in the family of the Midianites and Jethro, they showed kindness to Israel. And so God would show kindness to them. And God has been true to his promise, right, throughout the ages. You know, part of the reason God has blessed this country, and and you look at this country right here, and I think you guys know, huh, this is an amazing country. I still think in many ways, although we have drifted from God, we can still see the blessings of Almighty God upon the United States of America. But I would just say, it's not because of, you know, our goodness and, you know, or anything like that. It's because of His grace. And I think a large part of it has to do with the fact that we have always been allies with Israel. We have always been their friend until now. Huh? The current administration, you know, they need to read this chapter. They need to read in Genesis chapter 12. Because if we turn our backs on Israel then God will turn his back on us. In verse 7, it says, And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Wait a minute. And he utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And were unwilling. Now notice, it doesn't say they were unable. It says they were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. And so here it is. It's a mission. It's a mission that becomes an omission. God, it's really clear. And in the Hebrew language, Utterly destroy, utterly destroy is found seven times in our chapter today. God just making it really clear as far as what the mission was. Unfortunately, Saul did not obey. He spared, you know, the sheep and the oxen. He wasn't willing to destroy all. He spared the king as a trophy, the best of the sheep, the fat lambs and lambs, and all that was good. Now, you think about going to war and just, you know, you know, wiping them all out, bringing back one man, the king, and just bringing back, you know, like the fat sheep and the fat oxen, right? The best of the, you know, I'm sure it wasn't a whole bunch, right? And so I'm sure a lot of us here would think, you know what, Manny, that's not bad. You know, that's not bad considering what he did. I mean, he went and he fought and I'm sure he got, you know, bruised and battered and beaten and bloodied. And I'm sure that it was, you know, something that wasn't easy for him. But he went and he went to battle. And so, you know, a lot of us here, I think we might be okay with just what's called, well, you know, he did what partial obedience. I mean, nobody bats a thousand, right? I mean, if a baseball player gets three out of ten, he makes it to the all-star game, right? And how many free throws? I mean, if this guy hits 9 out of 10 free throws, this guy is in the Hall of Fame, you know, or whatever it might be. We can count on him in crunch time, right? And, and I think that a lot of times that's the mentality that we have in our Christianity. 
And, I, and, I, and we just need to come back to this place of understanding what Jesus said, that if you say you abide in him, that you also ought to walk just as he walked. That's got to be our goal. Jesus even said, you should be perfect just as your father is perfect. You know, and we're going to look primarily at Saul once we get through with him. Then we'll look at all. We'll look at us. But, you know, I, I think that that was probably his mentality. Hey, come on, you know, I, I did, I, I killed, you know, thousands of people. I left one man alive and we got some of these animals right here. What's the big deal? As a matter of fact, he thought that he had obeyed the Lord. You know, there are undoubtedly some of us who would look at this and say, you know, he didn't do everything God told him to do, but he did a lot. So I don't get it. What's the big deal? But the truth is that, you know, we learn today and we're going to learn it passionately is that volitional, conditional and partial obedience is nothing more than disobedience. Some people are like, hey, I'm good on Sundays and Thursdays. You're a good person, but not the other days. And I like him and him and him and him, but just he's the only one I got a problem with, right? And maybe her. And God says, you know what? I'm not cool with that. I am not cool with that. I want you every day. And I want you to treat everybody with my love. We're going to see. It's this, it's this complete obedience that God requires of us. Look at verse 10. It says, The word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried out, notice this, to the Lord, all night you see just in case we have that mentality like you know, you go home and you know nine out of ten hours you're you're a nice person but then you take one hour off from your christianity just in case you're here and you're cool with that god says no this is what i see see we need to see the way god sees and we need to hear what god says God says there in verse 11, I regret that I have set up Saul as king because he's turned back from following me. God didn't say that your partial obedience was cool, man, not at all. This volitional, conditional, partial obedience is nothing more than disobedience. And I, and I pray we would see even deeper than this. Can you guys see the way that it just breaks God's heart? Man, I pray that we would see that, you know? Because I know when I think of sin, I think of how it hurts my wife or my kids and, and maybe the church and, and, and me. But we really need to see even above and beyond those relationships, just the way that God sees it, you know? And, and man, it just, he, he regretted. And you can, just, you can just feel the grief. In God's comments. It breaks the heart of God and it breaks the heart of the godly. You know, here we see Samuel, you know, and he's, think about this, he's up all night. He's just up all night because he has the heart of God. You know, when you see somebody who has so much potential, and if I could just say this, all of you do, all of you do, 
Not just him, oh yeah, you know what, he went to Bible college. Or not just her, oh yeah, she was raised a Christian. No, all of you do. All of you have so much potential in the Lord. But when you see them, and they're anointed, and they're appointed by God, and they turn away, it just breaks God's heart. And it breaks the heart of the godly. None of this is easy for anyone. God is grieved. Samuel's grieved. So much so that he cries out all night long. You know, and we deal with sin and we deal with these issues. And, you know, I think sometimes people think that God enjoys or some people think that leaders enjoy admonishing the congregation or disciplining disobedient disciples. You know, they enjoy getting rid of the rebellious. But that's not God's heart. And neither is it the heart of the godly. But we got to deal with it, you guys. I'm telling you this right now, man. God wants us to be a holy, obedient people. And even though, you know, it's tough sometimes to deal with it, we got to deal with it. Samuel's crying all night long, but then he wakes up in the morning. And this old man, think about this. This old man, he travels 15 miles because he's going to take care of business. And so we read in verse 12 that when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed he set up a monument for himself and he has gone down on around, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. And then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now, Samuel is an old man. As a matter of fact, uh, most teachers will tell you that it's been at least 15 years that Saul has been king. And so Samuel was already old when he anointed him, and, and now he's an old man. A lot of people say that Saul was trying to hide from him. We don't know for sure. But sometimes that's what happens. Man. People, when they start living in sin, they think they can hide. You can't hide from God, right? <laughs> God will reveal where you are. So Samuel travels the 15 miles to find the king who has done what? Who has made a monument for himself. Is that crazy or what? Think about that, man. I mean, I'll use myself. I'm going to make a statue of Manny out there. What do you guys think, man? <laughs> I mean, to me, that's just weird. It's just wicked. It's hideous. It's ugly. But that was his heart. It reveals his heart, Right. We know that Absalom did the same thing in Second Samuel eighteen eighteen. Absalom, right, the traitor, he also set up a pillar for himself. He wanted everybody to remember him, the Bible says. But Saul sets up, it says right there in verse 12, a monument for himself. And, and for himself is the key word. You might even want to underline that. Whenever you live for yourself, you're going to have problems. You know, earlier we read in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 2, that the priests would get a flesh hook and they would go in the sacrifices and take meat for himself. We read about Saul getting men for himself. We even read it last week. Remember 1 Samuel 14, verse 52? And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him for himself. No, we don't take you for myself. We... You're for the Lord, for the Lord. But it was so easy to get off track. Well, I've been king 15 years now, man. 
I'm tall, dark, and handsome, and strong, and God has wrought victories through me. And it just, man, it's just so crazy the way that leaders can drift away. Saul's not doing good. Even right here when he's greeting Samuel, it's kind of interesting. You know, look again there in verse 13 when, when he finds out, hey, Saul, Samuel's here. And so he's like, huh, he's here? <laughs> and he goes out to him and what does he do? Oh, blessed are you of the Lord. I've performed all that the Lord commanded me to do. To me, I think he sounds a little scared. <laughs> I think he sounds a little surprised. And I think he sounds a whole lot hypocritical, huh? Really, man? I mean, right here we see, he says, hey, man, I've done everything that God told me to do. I've performed the commandment of the Lord, verse 13. But look up at verse 11 again. Look what God said. I greatly regret that I have set Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Saul said, I performed God's commandments. And God said, no, you haven't. And, and we're going to talk about this, you know, that sometimes we, I don't know if Saul was uh, sincerely deceived or, or he, he knew he was lying, but, but we can even be sincere. I, 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 we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He thought he was doing right. And maybe, you know, we're here and we think we're performing the commandments of the Lord. But, but really, when God looks and gives his Evaluation. He says, you know, know what, son? I love you. Sweetheart, daughter, I love you. But you're not. And that's where we have to be open. For Saul, it was a little bit more evident. Because look at verse 15. But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Now go back again. Look at verse 3. Go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing, child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. I mean, it's pretty clear, right? What God had requested, what God had commanded. But somehow we find loopholes, right? We find loopholes. And what we find is that Samuel right here, as he's addressing Saul, Samuel's all, wait a minute, I hear something. <laughs> what is that? Do you have a, like a CD playing or, or what is that? I hear some, uh, some sheep buying, some ox lowing, man. Right? The evidence was there. And what we find is that Samuel was hearing the sins of Saul. Notice the pronouns here that Saul uses, they, verse 15, they have brought them, blaming the people for the bad stuff. And then notice in the end of the verse, we have utterly destroyed. He includes himself in the good stuff. <laughs> you know, that's how we are. We love ourselves, right? And then even the pronoun you, your God. We've got these animals to sacrifice to the Lord, your God. He's your God, Samuel. And unfortunately, you know what? That was true. He wasn't Saul's God. You know who Saul's God was? Saul. And so we just need to come back to this place because self is the idol to which all men naturally bow. The unholy trinity, right? Me, myself, and I. 
And we begin to live life for ourselves. And you guys, as Christians, we don't live for ourselves no longer. We live for Him, the one who died for us. And that's where we need to be. You know, Warren Wiersbe said, this is a pivotal chapter in the story of Saul. The Lord gave him another opportunity to prove himself, but he failed again, lied about it, and was judged. Saul had a habit of substituting saying for doing and making excuses instead of confessing his sins. No matter what happened, it was always somebody else's fault. He was more concerned about looking good before the people than being good before God. You know, and I shared with you guys a couple of weeks ago, I think when we were studying pretty much something similar to this, that, you know, when you're busted or when your wife says, hey, you know what, this is what you did, or, you know, whoever it is that confronts you, you know, before you start making excuses, you know, bring it before the Lord. Because, you know, we can always find reasons. Well, Manny, you don't know my husband. Manny, you don't know my wife. Manny, you don't know my situation. Manny, you don't know my boss. Manny, you don't know my finances. And, and you know, we just boom. And I'm telling you this, that if you're good at making excuses, was it Benjamin Franklin said, then you're not going to be good at anything else. When it comes to sin, there's one person to blame. You. Me. Oh, they may have sinned against you, but it doesn't mean that you have to join them there. Saul was great at making excuses, huh? And what we find is that he couldn't, he wouldn't see his sin that was so obvious to others. You know, and sometimes I'll tell, you know, I'll share with you guys. I don't know if you've ever done this. Oh, I feel terrible. I shouldn't say this, but I'm not that bad. You know, oh, come on, man. Have you ever said that? Yes, you are. <laughs> and yes, I am. You know? And I think the sooner we understand who we are apart from Christ, you know, I think the better off we'll be. But we need to, you know, like when we have blind spots in our life, and we don't see the sin, but maybe someone else does, especially someone like a Samuel in your life, somebody that cares. Somebody that's concerned and they come to you and they show you those areas of your life. And what do you do? You just make excuses. I, I talk to a lot of people. A lot of times they'll say, you know, well, so-and-so does it. This Christian does it. What's the big deal? Why are you being that way? Well, who's talking to you? You want to know who's talking to you? And I'm, sometimes I'll be talking to different guys or girls. I'm talking to you. I love you. I care for you. Sometimes a Samuel will come to you and, and we just like, that doesn't mean anything to you. It should. They're trying to point out areas of your life that sometimes we don't see. David Guzik said this. He said, pride and disobedience make us blind. It makes us deaf to our sin. What was completely obvious to Samuel was invisible to Saul. He said, we all have blind spots of sin in our lives and we need to constantly ask God to show them to us. We need to sincerely pray the prayer of Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. What happens if you're on the freeway and you don't check your blind spot? 
You might die, huh? The same is true in your spiritual life. Check your blind spot. Check your blind spot. Pray to God. Say, Lord, show me things in my life that I don't see. Listen to others. When they criticize you, some are very caring. Maybe some aren't. But listen. Take it to the Lord. Like Chuck Swindoll. Whenever He said, whenever somebody criticized me, I sift through it. And then you shift and sail. But make sure that you take it to the Lord. We need to ask God to show us our sins. And then when someone like Samuel who cries and cares and comes into our life is there to help us out, let's do our utmost to really listen to them. And so I like what we read in verse 16. It says, and then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. Or in other words, I won't say it. (laughs) We're not allowed to say that in our house. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, okay, speak on. And so Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission. He said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission in which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have already destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed. This is why they did it, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And so Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And so, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Remember when Saul was first anointed king? I don't know if you guys remember. He was there hiding under the equipment. I mean, he knew. I'm, you know, he was little. There's nothing. I'm nothing. But then eventually he thought he was something. Be careful. Be careful, you guys. None of us are anything apart from the Lord. How, how good looking you are, how many scriptures you've memorized. How obedient you've been for the last, you know, 23 years. You and I are still nothing. And I can do nothing apart from him, right? We got to remember that. Paul, Simon says, when you were little in your own eyes, now you're big in your own eyes. That's a problem. You know, he thought that he was something. He thought that partial obedience was obedience, and it's not. He thought he could blame others and relinquish his leadership. And, you know, we try to do that maybe as a husband or as a leader in the ministry for myself. You know, being a a pastor, being a servant And this, it's really easy for me to say, you know, well, yeah, Lord, I'm the pastor, you know, but they did that and they did that. And the Lord says, you know what, you have a heavy responsibility, son. You can't blame it on them. You have to assume the leadership role that I've given to you. Because it won't work in God's eyes. And so we are responsible. We've got to find a way to lead. Right? 
I mean, imagine that you're there, you're in war. More than likely, some people will say, they say this, that, that Saul made the decision to bring the king back. That's probably what happened. Okay, let's bring the king back. And so when they saw him compromise, then they followed suit. Okay, well, then let's take this, you know, fat sheep and whatever, fat oxen. Do you think they really brought him back to sacrifice to the Lord? I don't know for sure, but I doubt it. I doubt it very seriously. And they wanted to, it was like, it was like money to them. It was like meat to them. It was food. They were going to grab. But they followed their leader. And their leader couldn't say anything because he himself was already compromising. You see, his thinking was wrong, man. He thought he was something. He thought partial obedience was obedience. He thought he could relinquish his leadership. He thought religion and relationship were synonymous and they're not. Oh, well, we're going to make sacrifices now. I'm going to go to church. I'll go three times this week, Lord. And God says, you know what? I mean, that's cool. You want to go three times? But do me a favor. Live the life. Remember I've told you guys before about that couple. They were all excited. They wanted to go to Israel. They wanted to see like the teachings of Jesus and where it was all taking place. And the Lord, you know, the wife told the husband, you know what? Rather than going to Israel and seeing those things, how about staying home and living those things? Religion and relationship are not the same. Sacrifices, right? He just wasn't thinking biblically. Let me ask you guys a question. Does the Lord want sheep and oxen? Does that delight his heart? No, huh? Wouldn't he rather have you? Wouldn't you say? I would say you. You are God's delight. Look what he says right there. Has the Lord as great delight? You're his delight. You are. And when you live a life of sanctification and obedience to God, think about this. It just blesses him. It blesses him. Not sheep and oxen and sacrifices and religion. You, your heart and your obedience are a delight to the Lord. God delights in obedience. Another question, what's better, sacrifice or obedience? And we know obedience is. David Guzik said, one could make a thousand sacrifices unto God, work a thousand hours for God, or give a thousand dollars to God. But all of those sacrifices mean little if there is not a surrendered heart to God, shown by what? By simple obedience. You know, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know what, Manny, nobody's perfect and, you know, we're all going to sin and, and you don't really take it seriously. Look at what he says about sin. Look what he says right here in verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. I think it was Billy Sunday. He said sometimes we treat sin like it's a a cream puff when it's really a rattlesnake, you know? Oh, it's no big deal. You know what? When you sin, it's, it's rebellion, it's your stubbornness, it's iniquity, it's idolatry, it's like witchcraft. Think about that, witchcraft. You're like, I've never done witchcraft. Well, God says, well, that's, that's the equivalent of what you're doing. This is the way that I see it. Worthy of death. That's what sin is. 
But we just take it so lightly sometimes, and we can't. Then he gives the consequences there in verse 23. Well, okay, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he's also rejected you from being king. Now, I don't know if Saul necessarily lost his salvation at this point, you know, so to speak. But I do know he lost his calling. He lost his position. He lost his purpose. And this is not just for kings. This is for pastors. This is for assistant pastors. This is for overseers. This is for leaders. This is for teachers. This is for all of us here who have a calling, who have a part in the body of Christ. It's for all of us that if we choose to volitionally and, you know, utterly continue and resist and persist and insist in sin, God says, you know what, the day may come where because you've rejected God's word, I reject you from being what I anointed you and appointed you to be. And so we need to really take this seriously. You know, God is gracious and he'll forgive us if we repent. And that's where we are now, you guys. You know, because right here we see Saul, unfortunately, he didn't have that heart of repentance. You know, when looking at Saul's life, it was just like a downward spiral. First, he lost the dynasty. We talked about that last time where his family would no longer carry the crown. But now he lost the monarchy. And it would take a while. It would take probably another 25 years. We don't know for sure. 25 years for David to be king. And you're like, why did it take so long? Well, it wasn't because Saul was worthy. It's because David needed to be trained. And we'll see that as we go through Samuel. It's going to be awesome. But here we see this explained in verse 24. It says, And then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned away around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore And so Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel, this is a description of God, a name for God, will not lie nor relent. He is not a man that he should relent. I don't know if you guys heard. I, I don't know all the details, but I guess there was a, an Olympian, a gal from Greece, who was disqualified, if I'm not mistaken, because she tweeted something that was very, very inappropriate. The Bible says in Second Timothy chapter 2 that if you're an athlete, you need to compete according to the rules. The Bible says in First Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, but I, I buffet my body, I discipline my body, and I bring it in subjection. Lest when I preach to others, I myself should be what? Disqualified. You know, and I just pray, you know, that we would just rise up. It's not that we're unable. 
Because you have the power of the Holy Spirit within you, man. You have the Word of God, the Spirit of God, man. You have everything that pertains to life and godliness in you. You have what it takes. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that says, well, I just can't do it. If you're a Christian, you can. But we have to bring ourselves into subjection, discipline. And we have to just really take this before the Lord because, you know, here we are talking about this, you know, Olympian and the physical crown that she lost. You don't want to lose a spiritual crown, do you? You want to know why you don't want to lose a spiritual crown? Because your crowns will bring God glory one day. One day when we're there at the Bema Seat of Christ and we stand before Him and we give an account of our life. Uh, I've seen, and I've seen so many Christians too, they just are so worldly. So worldly. Jonathan Laurie was talking about how there was a period in his life where there was too much of the world for him to be happy in the church. And too much of the church to be happy in the world, such as a miserable person, right? And we just got to take our, our, our foot out of the world and, and live life for Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we might lose that crown. And so we need to take this seriously. I hope we've learned in life. And because look what verse 24 of Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. But we've learned in life that so often words are cheap. Frequently, they're not spoken in sincerity. Saul sounds repentant, but he's not. And it's revealed in the fact that he's more concerned with the way things look and not the way things are. And maybe you got busted recently, or maybe it was a while ago. And you're wondering, why aren't things happening for you? Because you are not really repentant. And God sees it. See, that's what happened right here. It looked good, but Samuel knew. Saul wants Samuel to stay with him. Why? Because he cares more about his reputation than his character. Right? He's more concerned with the way things look than the way things are. Damien Kyle, he listened to a study on this, gave a heavy, heavy warning how when you reach that place in your life as a Christian, when all your energy is exerted in hiding your life, because the real you is not like Jesus. Oh, it doesn't matter, you know, my character, it's our reputation, we've got to make a good show right here. And that's just a real, real big danger sign, you guys. We got to ask God that it would be real. Samuel sees right through the empty words and he turns to go away. Saul desperately, foolishly reaches for Samuel's robe and it tears. He rips the robe of Samuel. And although it shouldn't have happened, it served as a perfect illustration of how God was going to tear the kingdom away from Saul and give it to a neighbor of his who was better than him. Why was David better than Saul? Because the Bible says he was a man after his own heart who would do according to his will. Obedience. It goes back to obedience. Yeah, but they're not as good looking as I am. (laughs) 
You know, they don't talk as good as I do. They don't know many Bible verses or whatever it might be. You know, they haven't been walking with the Lord as long as I have. Whatever it is, they're not tall enough, strong enough, whatever it is. That, none of that matters. It's just, it comes back to a heart of obedience. You see, with our mind we learn. With our mind we learn these things, right? And with our heart, we not only learn God's word, but we love God's word. I pray you would love God's word. But it can't just end there. It can't just be with the mind and the heart. There has to be the will. Do you have the will to live God's word? So you've got to learn it and you've got to love it. But it can't end there. You've got to live it. And that's when our will, our will dies. Not my will, but thy will be done. When you can reach that place in your life, And that's what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus models for us. The will of the Lord. You know, Saul lost the kingdom. Samuel tells him in verse 20, it's set in stone. (laughs) Nothing you can do about it now. You can still have a relationship with God. And you have some of these pastors and they commit adultery. They shouldn't be pastoring anymore. They shouldn't be pastoring anymore. What does that teach the congregation? Well, I can do it, and I can get right back in the saddle. No, you can't. No, you can't. You see, we might lose the position, but the cool thing with the Lord is that we don't have to lose a relationship. Saul lost the position. Now... You know, God wanted to encourage him to go forward in his relationship. Unfortunately, he never did. You know, he lost his position. I don't know if it really meant a lot to Saul. Look at verse 30. He said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. Doesn't that sound bad? Honor me now. <laughs> Please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. And so Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord And then Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. And so Agag came to him cautiously. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Wow. You know, Samuel wants to go away, but then he ends up going back with Saul. And, and, you, and you wonder why. Some teachers say, well, the reason he went back was to keep the monarchy intact, to avoid anarchy in the nation. But I don't think that was the reason he went back. I think the real reason he went back was to hack King Agag, don't you think? <laughs> to bring him to justice, Right. And boy, was he brought to justice. You know, this, uh, the, again, King Agag comes and he sees Samuel. He's like this old guy. Oh, surely the bitterness of death is past. And he's thinking, thank God I survived this whole thing. But little did he know the holiness of this man, right? And the old man right there, the prophet, he hacked Agag to pieces. Something interesting there in verse 33. It says, he hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord. I mean, he didn't do it before Saul. He didn't do it before Israel. He didn't do it for him or them. He did this for the Lord. Okay, now don't go do that. Okay, of course I have to 
You know, Joy was telling me that someone sharpened his axe, and so he cut his finger. I was like, that's weird. We're talking about an axe tonight, man, hacking someone. But, (laughs) you know, we know, and in all these things right here as we go through life, you know, I do believe this. God believes in the death penalty. We see that even in Romans chapter 13, right? But what we find right here is, man, how we're going to close with something important. How the Amalekites are a typology. They're a picture. They're symbolic of the flesh. And we're going to talk about that. And so what ends up happening in verse 34, Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house of Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul. Think about that. Until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. And so what ends up happening? They never hooked up again. They never really connected again. Although there is one reference to Saul going to where Samuel was in chapter 19 of this book, they they, they never really connected again. And it's probably something a lot of people will say that basically what happened is Samuel said, I'm going to leave it in his hands. If he ever wants to come back, he's more than welcome. But he never wanted to. He never wanted to repent, right? Hoping that he would, but he didn't. And just as Saul and Samuel never connected again, it also reveals to us the fact that neither did Saul and God. And that's a heavy, heavy thought. And so what ends up happening is Samuel mourns for Saul. And so you read the whole thing right here, and and we've read a lot of revelation and maybe a little interpretation But how about application, right? Some might consider this to be a weird study, but the motivation here is rooted in a righteousness that God desires for Christians. It's not just for kings or leaders or pastors, but it's for all of us. And here's the thing, we'll close with this, because we're going to have communion tonight, you guys, is that all of us have the sin nature. We all have the sin nature. And we all have to put to death our sin nature. The inclinations of the flesh. Maybe you're here today and you've got an anger problem, right? Because you're a Mexican, right? <laughs> it's just my, my blood, man. <laughs> no, it's your flesh, man. <laughs> you know, I was raised a certain way. My dad, we, I started getting drunk with my dad when we were seven years old. So, uh, you know, it's, I got a, it's drinking and they say it's in the genetics now. And you've got all your excuses and your reasons and whatever you think it is, but you've got to know what it really is. It's really your fallen, sinful nature that God is commanding you to execute. Just like the Amalekites, to utterly destroy that sin nature. Because if you don't, here's the thing. If you don't kill it, one day it will kill you. And that's exactly what happened to Saul. He died, according to Second Samuel chapter 1, at the hands of an Amalekite. And so we need to put to death the deeds of the body, the Bible says. Real quick, Galatians 5.24, I'll read it to you. It says, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's a sexual thing. Maybe it's a food thing. I don't know what it is for you. Kill it. Kill it by faith. That's what it says. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Do it by faith. Number two, do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if here it is by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
You see, we need to take seriously this mission. Don't let it be an omission. Let it be a commission. Maybe you're here today and you just, you know what, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord, help me. Because I want to live a life for you. Real quick, let's go over to Colossians 3. We need to live obediently. And, and, I, and I, here's my thing. I pray, because we're all different. We're all different. Some of you here, you would never yell at your house. I have a feeling a lot of you here do. <laughs> Stop it, unless there's a fire. Okay? But we're all different. And, and I don't know what your thing is, but you've got to identify what it is. Colossians chapter 3 gives us some specifics. It says in verse 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, a lot of sexual sins, masturbation. That's sexual sin. Pornography. Thoughts. A lot of sometimes people are having thoughts in their, in their mind. They have an affair with somebody. They haven't done it physically, but they've done it mentally. A lot of sexual sins that need to be put to death. Uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness. That's sin, which is what? Idolatry. It's just because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now you yourselves are to put off all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Well, I just wanted to read that because I just I think it's cool the way that it gets really specific. And we need to do the same thing. We need to live obediently and specifically and radically for the Lord. Remember what Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, to do what? Take it out. Your right hand causes you to sin, cut it out. So Joy did bring the axe. And, uh, no, I'm just joking. What's the Lord really saying there, man? He's just saying, get radical, get crazy style. We used to have a song when I was in my band. It's called Crazy Style. But that was for the world, okay? Now we need to get crazy style for the Lord. Radically, deal with it, you guys. God has a place in the body of Christ. And, it, and I, I'm just, I have to have this hope that I want to just share with you in closing today. That if you're here today... And, and you don't know, like, oh, it's too late. Maybe I've crossed the line. You know, I would just say to you, you know what? Let the Lord figure those things out. I would say it's not too late. I would say that that's why God brought you here today, to hear this study and just to rescue you from losing that wonderful calling upon your life. You find your place in the body of Christ, that position that God gives to you. And rather than rejecting the word of God, you tonight, we accept the word of God and we ask him to do a great work in our life. As Martin Luther said this, I'd rather be obedient than do miracles. But I think obedience is miraculous. It's the best miracle Sometimes we look for signs and wonders and dazzling things and feelings or whatever it might be. You don't need any of that. Let's just obey the Lord. And Father, we thank you for allowing us to study your word and just making it so clear, Lord.
We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.